Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out podcast. That was Exocrine with the song Idolin. That's off of their new album released late January. It's called Legend, available now on Season of Mist Records. If you're not familiar with them, they are quite obviously a technical death metal band. They are based out of Bordeaux, France, and they have quite a few records out and available now for your consumption but of course i'd highly recommend diving into their newest one legend again out now on season of mist records if you're a regular visitor to getting it out.net you might be familiar with exocrine as i tend to post most of their happenings their singles their music videos their news it's what i do over there sometimes a band just falls into favor of mine and exocrine is one of those bands pretty impressive what that four piece does throughout the 43 minutes or so on the latest record Idolin is a great sample of what else is on there. Again, I highly encourage you to go in, check it out, hear what they're putting down, especially if you like technical death metal. Huh, how about that? On this episode of the podcast, we're kind of talking about technical death metal. I don't know. What do you call Job 4 Cowboy? Does it matter? Is it technical? Sure. Is it death metal? Yes. Is it technical death metal? I don't know. Who makes these rules? It's not me. I just live by them. I just report them. I just tell you what's a happening and what's a happening on this episode of the podcast is an interview with bassist Nick Shins of Job for a Cowboy. But first, the world's greatest thrash band to ever come from New Jersey right now. Hot Zone. Chicky! So on the last episode, which was, of course, an interview with Hatebreed's drummer, Matt Byrne, I gave a little peek behind the curtain before the episode really got rolling. I did it right here in this area of the podcast, and I got a decent response from that. So I'm going to do the same thing again, because I think I might have mentioned that I was set to do an interview over the weekend. I was talking about how much time I put in, really patting myself on the back, if you know what I mean. And uh, and then I got all set up to do that interview over the weekend, and the person didn't show. Why am I telling you that? Because I want to tell you about something that is extra annoying in hopes that it reaches any of the necessary ears out there that need to hear these things, specifically musicians, PR people who set this shit up and then their people don't show up. So here it is. Peek behind the curtain. Number two, as I mentioned in the last episode, if you need to hear it, go back and listen. But typically people, bands, record labels, PR people reach out to me. I don't do a whole lot of reaching out. I sit here and kind of uh, deal with what comes in which is nice. It's a nice place to be. All right. It took me a little while to get there, but I'm here. It's a, it's a perk for sure. It's a compliment to what I do with getting it out, getting it out.net, getting it out podcast. It's the brand, the name recognition, whatever you understand the reputation. I feel I've deserved it. Anyway, people reach out. They say, Hey, will you interview this band? I say, yes, I would love to do that. Sometimes very rarely I reach out to somebody on my own and set up the interview. We got that right. What happens then is typically these things are done over Zoom. I create the uh, meeting, which this, which the interview will be recorded in. I send the invite. They confirm we're all good. The day of the interview comes. The time comes. Boom. 12 o'clock p.m., whatever it is. We're both sitting there staring at each other in the face, ready to rock and talk about rocking. And sometimes the time comes and I'm sitting here at my computer. And I'm staring at a black screen or more likely myself as Zoom acts as a mirror when nobody else is there. 
And in the past, I've waited like up to 15 minutes while sending messages to people like, hey, I'm here. Are you coming? And somewhere over the last year or two, I decided I don't do that anymore. I give them five minutes to show and then I roll out. Now, of course, there's acceptable reasons why people don't show up. And there's also stuff just like plain ass forgetting. I get that, too. Although I don't think I ever do that. Anyway, that's not my point. The reason that is so infuriating is because like I, I schedule this shit out, right? This could be time for somebody else to do this, for me to promote somebody else's band. This could be time I'm spent, I don't know, working out. It could be time I'm spent hanging out with my family. It could be time I'm spending working on other stuff that I feel needs to be done. But instead, I, you know, lop off this hour of my day, my night, my morning, my weekend, whatever. And I dedicate it to this person who's supposed to show up and then they don't. And it pisses me off. Right. But I'm also an introvert. So, you know, that whole canceling thing when people cancel plans is also like a big relief in a way. So there's leeway, right? There's there's things that influence whether it's an egregious mistake or no show or not. But what can't be excused is when it happens again. When that person reaches out and says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that to you. I hate wasting people's time. This is a very common reaction, by the way. People say this, I hate wasting people's time. It's like, well, you, you don't hate it that much. If you hated it that much, you would have prioritized the time that you set aside and told somebody you'd be there. It's a really simple concept. But often my response is the same. Oh, don't worry. It happens more than you think. I'm happy to reschedule. And then you reschedule, set aside another hour turn on that zoom one more time and then stare at yourself for five minutes while you wait impatiently. That happened to me again this weekend, twice from the same band and the policy here at getting it out podcast is two strikes and you're out. And that's why the band whose name I won't mention is now out. You can say, Hey Dan, tell us the name, name names. And I would love to name names because I understand that that's more fun that way. But if I name names, it's just going to give the promotion to them that I don't want to give them now that they didn't, uh, now that they fucked me over. Okay. Do you know how many hours I spent listening to their records in preparation? This is something they do. Okay. So this is what I like hours dedicated to dumb fuck metalheads who can barely tie their shoes that I can't take back and missed opportunities to have conversations like this one with Nick Shins of Job for a Cowboy, somebody who was extremely friendly, punctual, present, and fun to talk to a guy who's got a schedule just as busy as mine and makes times to fulfill his obligations to collectively promote the things that he and I both love. And on this episode, that happens to be his band Job for a Cowboy and their new album, moon healer so enough of my bitching let's get to that but first you're gonna hear a track from their new album moon healer it's called beyond the chemical doorway it kicks things off on the record it's gonna kick things off here and then my conversation with nick
Hi, Nick. Well, we were just talking a whole bunch off off the record, I guess. Yeah. And you were just going into uh, how you got interested in heavy music to begin with. Like you were just talking about going to see Metallica, Pantera. Tell me a little bit about that, how those were your bands. Sure. So like, you know, cousins, older cousins were the cool, you know, you kind of take a lot of influence from them. They're a little older, cooler, lived out on a farm and they had like the shop that was like, you know, fucking Marshall Halfstack and a drum kid and like, you know, a PA and stuff. And it was just so cool when you're 10 years old to see that. And so, you know, they kind of were feeding me, you know, what I was listening to. And so Metallica was just this kind of huge, um, turning point. I mean, like the grunge stuff was all there, mm-hmm. you know, and MTV was a big fucking thing, a big influence, even Be- Beavis and Butthead. I found out a lot of bands about Beavis and Butthead. Right. Fuck yeah. Them. How old are you? So it sounds like uh, we're about the same age. Yeah. 41. So I was born. In right, I'll be 40 this year. So yeah. Okay, right. cool. Yep. Same pocket. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, I remember getting the, the live shit binge and purge box set. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in conjunction with, uh, the Pantera home videos, uh, is, is, you know, that's what really like informed in my mind, like, uh, if this is, you can do that. Like you can go play this awesome music all around the world and like set off fireworks on each other and put each other's sunglasses in the microwave and just fucking generally rage your whole life long. And so that's, that, that was such a huge, like informative process, um, growing up, you know, and it was like either that or snowboarding for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started with snowboarding first, but, um, eventually at 18, um, my, my buddy from third grade, Greg Williams, uh, he taught himself drums. I taught myself, uh, guitar, but then I listened to LD 50 from Mudvayne. Uh, together with him. And I was like, Oh shit, I'm gonna switch to bass. And that was kind of like the start of my musical journey. So going to see finally, I mean, I don't think I've fucking seen Metallica since 1996. Um, when they had that, like, like catastrophic, uh, catastrophic stage show. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. We're like, no, not really. Yeah. It was fucking cool because you didn't, this was before the internet. So you couldn't, you didn't know that this was a goof or this was like part of their thing. So it looked like, Oh no. Cause remember James had that fucking, um, pyrotechnic go off and fuck his arm mm, up yeah, and yeah, yeah, play yeah. forever. So like it looks like pyro was going wrong and this guy dangling from the ceiling and you're like, Oh no, it's happening again. And then they come out to like just a single little garage light and you're like, Oh, this was a, Oh wow. It was brilliant. But so that was 96. Hadn't seen them since then. And all of my touring and all of the stuff that I've done and all the bands I've played with and fest and stuff never coincided with Metallica. So getting to see them again, uh, was really cool, especially making it, you know, in the, being in the snake pit. And cause it was like Pantera and Metallica, but all the bands that like formed what I want, you know, why I wanted to play heavy music and I'm in the snake pit. And it's like, you look around and it's like fucking Tom Morello and fucking Jason Momoa. And like, you know, it's just like, everybody's just, it was so fucking cool. It was like, ah oh man, full circle back around to, um, to being a, a 13 year old, you know, trying to figure out what he wants to do in the world again, you know? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And you know, like there's a, there's a thing that I, I loved all those bands when I was younger. Right. And it, but I didn't prioritize or give a shit about going to see them once I was able to go to my own shit. Cause I was getting sure. more into more underground, you know, and like I mentioned before, it was hardcore. It was sure. whatever, it was, whatever was happening back at earth, you know, earth through. crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Just metalcore, <laughs> hardcore, whatever, you know? Sure. And, uh, and then like, it was for years until I finally came back around. I was like, I need to go see these bands that I loved 
that I still hadn't, I still hadn't gone to see Metallica until recently. I still hadn't gone to see Judas Priest. That was my first show out of the pandemic. Wow. It was their first show out of the pandemic. Wow. actually. That's um, rad. But, but it was just like, now I got to see, I got to check all these bands. Cause I missed out on so many like bands that I love, like quintessential stuff. Motorhead. I should have seen a thousand times. And I just didn't because I figured they'd come back around. Right. Pantera finally saw them. But of course it's, you know, this version of Pantera, which I'm cool with, but I should have gone every other time I had the opportunity. I know I saw them. I did see them seven times. Like I think back when, you know, like the real Pantera from right. the records, you know, um, yeah. And, uh, it was, that was an interesting adjustment to make, you know, like coming in mm-hmm. and being like, at first I'm, you're just sitting there like <laughs> impressed, me. Oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like just kind of like this, you can't be, you know what I mean? And then like, it was funny. Cause like at the, the cause I saw Pantera one week before I went out mm-hmm. to see Metallica when it was Lamb of God Pantera. And, um, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it was tough, you know, cause it's like, this is, this band that was so iconic to you. And then like, you know, the, obviously the brothers were such a, an important part of that chemistry and they were, you know, kind of were the chemistry of the, of the music. Um, and then uh, to go and see it and be like, I think the hardest part about it is realizing that like, Oh man, these brothers are dead. You know, these brothers have died like this fucking, it's hard to not be sad watching it. You know what I mean? Um, right. But so the first time was, was tricky. Second time I was like, okay, I was in the, in the, in the snake pit at the show. And I was like, can you, okay, that's yeah. They're, they're not there anymore. You know, the brothers are not there. Is it still fun to hear those songs? Like, yeah, yeah. It's fucking, it's awesome, man. I love it. You know what I mean? So, and Phil sounds fucking great. So that was fucking rad. And, um, you know, Zach's doing definitely his own version of Pantera. Um, I kind of think it would be cool if he were to do like he did for Randy Rhodes and like really dig in to mm-hmm. like yeah. how the riffs are, are played and like, especially like getting the solos down. Cause like technically, yeah, you can't, he could do it. Totally. Sure. Yeah, uh, it's a lot get of that it's sound. Gonna, it's gonna be a lot of work, right? you know, and I don't know if that, if, you know, I get where he's kind of coming from to be like, I'm not, I'm just going to Zach it. You know what I mean? But either way, it was really cool to see. And, and it's fun to see, um, to kind of like come full circle again, you know what I mean? And, and realize like, Oh, if you want to see somebody, if you want to see a band, if you were ever a fan of it, like go do it. Because I remember I could have gone and seen George Carlin. And I remember like almost like being like, Oh, it's going to be like 150 bucks. If I went it's day of, I forgot he's coming, you know, and yeah. I should have just fucking done it. Cause he died like literally a week later. And I was like, fuck, it was like 20, you know? So like, if you have the opportunity to go see somebody that you love, whether it's because there's going to be a pandemic or world war three, or the band's going to break up or somebody in the band dies, like go to the, go to the show, at least check it off once. You know right. what I mean? Part of us doing that, going to Buffalo to see them is this little thing we set up every summer now. And it's, well, it started the summer before we took, I have daughters, 17 and 10 now. Uh, I took them to Cleveland. It was like, go to a drivable city on the East Coast over the summer where it's not going to be too hot and uh, see a concert, go to a show, like do touristy shit. So we started with Cleveland, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Then it was Buffalo, drug them to Metallica. Trust me, the girls didn't want to go to Metallica. But <laughs> we were like, but, but, that, but that was part of our thing is like, sure, you got to go see this shit. 
last year they won. We went to Pittsburgh for Taylor Swift. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, you got to go see the fucking, the big artists while they're here. You got to appreciate them. This summer it's, we're going to New York city for a Foo Fighters thing at at the baseball stadium, you know, like, yeah. And, but, but, but like, I feel like we have this conversation with them a lot. It's like, you just got to go to this stuff. I don't, you don't have to, of course, but like, just appreciate it for what it is. Even if it's not like your thing, just like the, the, the opportunity to take it in. I think like, see like that. And then I'll be like, that's a, that's a fair trade. They brought you to Taylor. Like, okay, you're going to Metallica. Um, (laughs) But then, you know, like, yeah, dude, I'm sure the production is fucking incredible for Taylor Swift. I'm probably the best show I've ever been to. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know, the elitism is cool. Gatekeeping is cool, but it's also like, oh man, but is there something that you could like about it? I mean, I remember back in, in um, when you first started to get jaded about, being on tour and, and bands and that kind of stuff. Like it happens, you know? And, um, I remember it's like, it's so easy to find, to pick apart bands or to pick apart art and be like, Oh, ha, geez, you know, this, this, that, whatever. It's right. so easy to criticize, find things to criticize about it. But it's like, why not flip it and be like, is there anything you do? Like, is there anything that you like, you can appreciate about it? And then your brain starts to look and be like, uh, actually I kind of like how the drummer, you know what I mean? Now all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you're appreciating art. Uh, and maybe you don't have to go fucking buy the record and become a super fan or whatever, but at least you can, you know, not just poo poo everything just off the basis of it's not perfect for me right off the bat. So, you know, it's a waste of my time, you know? Exactly. Perfect. And that's actually a perfect segue into a conversation about job for a cowboy because, my earliest memory, not my earliest memory, but when I first remember hearing about Job for a Cowboy, it was all bad. It was, it was like early, I guess, mid 2000s. I don't know exactly. Yeah, but it, the only thing I remember is that it was part of this death core that we all just, not we all, people in my circle just automatically hate it. Fuck it. It sucks. There yep. was a, there was a, a SpongeBob video or something. This is, oh, like, yeah. this is like all I remember about it back then. It was like, it was like shut off. Like there's no fucking way. We're not even checking this out. Yeah. This type of music, these type of people, it's, it's, it's a no, but then eventually it was like, wait a minute, this is good. And I know this, the sound change and I know you weren't in the band back then, but, but so I'm curious about what your first exposure and introduction to job for a cowboy was. Oh, oh, it was the same. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, I remember we had a song with Cephalic Carnage, uh, Whereas when I, you know, that was like, I'd just been in Cephalic for like a year when I first heard about, um, JFAC. And, uh, I remember just everybody being really bitter about it because, you know, MySpace was this new thing where, you know, in 2002 or 2001, if you would have been like, Hey, I'm going to, I have a website with some uh, friends on it, you know, like (laughs) if I can, all right, buddy, you know what I mean? Like go into the (laughs) real world, you know? And then MySpace really did kind of come along and change things. And so I think part of the way that they did that was making it cool for bands, but a utilizing this technology for bands who used to have to grind it out in the local circuit, try to make your way up, then try to play regionally, then try to play nationally. Um, the long, hard, slow road to the, t- to the top ACDC, you know, uh, it made it so that all of a sudden the potential for your band to reach millions of people was a click away and, and free, you know? And so I think like focusing on that element is a part of how MySpace skipped over the online friends site 
right. back when that was not fucking cool and made it like, Oh no, you have to go on there. You make a profile, but you check out bands, you know, and you then couldn't like, do any of that on Friendster. <laughs> exactly. Friendster. <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah. So, uh, and my space, uh, and, and so JFAC to me really represented that and to everybody else, I think in the scene, at least in like the, the death grind, you know, scene that uh, Cephalic was in, we kind of saw that as like, Oh, these are the new, you know, the kids that didn't, you know, earn their place. They got this website, they got a billion views, you know, they're the hottest new thing and, and really made it so that they wouldn't even check it out with an open heart, with an open ears, open, you know, it'd be like, but is, is there something there? Is it cool? And I remember when I finally did check it out and I was like, I listened to the doom EP and I was like, I was like, this, this is pretty fucking good. Like what? Let's fucking let's all that, you know, I get it. I know it's like, it's Corey's and breakdown stuff, but I was like, but it's, it's groovy. It's fucking heavy. There's the, you know, the death metal elements and the hardcore elements. I was like, what's so wrong about that? Um, I think the haircuts, you know, the, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that didn't help. Right. And the wearing your sister's jeans, um, that whole like fashion side of it, very fucking hot topic esque. Um, so it was funny then. I remember, uh, slowly as the band started to uh, almost Im- immediately after that doom EP, the band was like, uh, don't want anything to do with that, you know? And right. so they made Genesis and Johnny does have, um, and always has had like a very legitimate death metal roots. Um, I mean, he's probably one of the most intense connoisseurs of music that I know, especially heavy music still to this day, he's always sending me bands and I'm like, how do you have the fucking energy to find? I'm like, I'm so 40 year old, you know, 40 year old. I only listen to the good shit. I don't right, know. Right. New music ain't no good for me. And you know, I'm still, I'm there, you know, like it's hard for me to open up to listen to something new and he's always just digging and finding stuff. So, um, I think that that was important for him to like, I think he kind of just saw what, they had created, you know, and we're like, Oh, maybe not. Let's go this way. <laughs> but then, so you're uh, hypothetically like from a sonic perspective, abandoning those fans that made you so big, you know, that made you big. Cause they're not into the straight death metal thing. They're like, where's our breeze? Where's right. our pig squeals? Where is the breakdowns? Where's the, you know, the slammy brutal, you know, um, w- what they've started to get instead was this sort of, technical death metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the technical death metal people were like, Oh, you're that fucking MySpace deathcore band." Right. So it was this sort of like rough spot where the band had to like, basically be like, this is what we want to make. And we want to do this cause it's what's in our hearts. And we don't mm-hmm. care that it's definitely not anywhere near commercially successful as the deathcore sound was. Cause if they just fucking went doom one, doom two, doom three, right. like, it would probably be fucking retired, you know, cause it could have been that big. The name was climbed up so fast, but I think specifically being like, you know what? That's not what we want to do. Um, it kind of made a, 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 a more arduous career path to like try to stay relevant and stay in, t- in, in the top of people's minds while shedding the sort of, you know, hot topic, you know, death core moniker and trying to get the respect of, you know, traditional old school or, t- you know, technical death metal fans. And so I don't think it was until even with gloom, which had some cool stuff. And even with demonocracy, I don't think that we achieved that. I don't think that it was until sun eater 
where we finally were like, this is the record we want to make and fuck every, you know, we don't care at all about anything else, but let's make this fucking record. We were all laughing about the concept of and being like, that would be crazy. And so it wasn't until then, I think that we started to see like this sort of more like a shift in the public mm-hmm. perception of the band being like, Hey, you know, people put on acceptance. This, right. Right. And even, even from some of the doom fans were like, Oh, there's, you know, and I could see why it was like, there's room in this. There's, there's, there's breathing room, there's arpeggiation and there's, there's space and some, and groove and repetition and some of the elements of stuff that like, you know, maybe was when you're trying to prove how not deathcore you are and prove how technical you are, maybe you, you don't want any riff to repeat the exact same. Um, but so I feel like that was kind of like the, uh, you know, um, a summarized version of our trajectory towards mm-hmm. getting to making the music that we really wanted to make. And, and so moon healer is, is the extension of that. It's, it's the, it's the culmination of like no concern for commercial success, no concern for, you know, placement on shows or what it's going to mean. This or this, like, this is a passion project. This is a record we wanted to make. And this is a sound that we wanted to put out there regardless of how people respond to it. And it just so happens that like, you know, uh, there's people that are want to come along for the ride, you know? And so that's like, I guess the full, the full circle of that process, you know, is to be like, you go through this long task of trying to figure out who you are as an artist and through exploration and, and all these different, uh, um, projects that you do albums that you do concepts and stuff. And then eventually you've, you're like, Oh God, this is, this is home. This is who we are. And then like, people are like, we like who you are, you know? And you're like, ah, okay, cool. You know? And then you take a 10 year break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most important part of the whole process is like, right. Leave after you get it dialed yeah. it in. Yeah. Just fucking it's Seinfeld. Yeah, exactly. You just got to go out, you go out on top, man. You put out your best shit and be like, I'm out. What is that? Is it jerk store? Is that the jerk store? Joke? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess it's like, would we have written the moon healer, the new record, would it have come out as itself or anywhere as close to itself as it is? Had we not done, had everybody not gone and done everything that they were going to do, go have kids, go to school, get a degree, you know, start coding, move to Ireland, start medical school, become a physician, like, and, and who we listened to and, and, and how we grew on our instruments that whole time too. You know, like, I don't think that, technical capability to create what moon healer is would have existed. Had we just done this record in 2016, you know, maybe. Yeah. I got, I got to imagine there's in 10 years, there's got to be a lot of uh, improvement advance as long as everybody's sticking with it. I know you True. for yourself, of course have, um, right. You, you seem to be in several bands. I don't <laughs> know what your exact count is, but <laughs> I think uh, I'm at like, I'm, I'm headed towards six. You got, you keep yourself busy though. You keep yourself busy. Um, and like you said, I listened, I listened to uh, moon healer quite a bit at this point. Um, and it's not like there's singles on it. You know what I mean? But right. I, I don't mean that as a, as a negative. No, thing. no, I totally, I totally get it. Yeah. But there are three songs. I think it's three, maybe more that have been released from it so right. far. How's that general feedback been so far? Really good. Super good. And the, I think the way we chose to do it too, like specifically, um, putting stuff that was very dynamic from each other, like dynamically different, like, you know, putting agony seeping storm, arguably one of the techiest songs on the record, but also has some weird, um, you know, sort of jazz parts, I guess built into the end of it, just kind of 
kooky stuff. Um, and then immediately putting out forever rot, which was like, you know, the, 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 the slowest song on the record, the moodiest song on the record. Um, and choosing to do that on purpose to try to represent, I guess, like the vastness of the record or, or what we think is the vastness of the record, but specifically trying to choose that and then going with, uh, beyond the chemical doorway first. And it was kind of weird too. Cause like sometimes it is a concept record. So it, it's kind of weird in a way to like give away the ending, you know, yeah. by putting forever rot out. Um, but I yeah, guess but if you don't they, know all the other parts, you don't necessarily even know that that's the ending. I didn't know it was the ending exactly. until I was listening to the record. Like, well, this is the last song. Right. Exactly. You know yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it is kind of like designed to be listened to as a whole where it's like this kind of very, you know, schizophrenic roller coaster ride. And then the destination of that, of that roller coaster is, is the last song, you know, which is sort of the culmination of not just moon healer, but of the arc of the story of, of the character in sun eater and moon healer. Um, so, but we've been f- fucking pretty blown away by the response, dude. Like I got a lot of really good response to sun eater and we weren't sure about how this one was going to be perceived because it's like that sophomore record. It feels like, even though this is, you know, six or whatever, I don't know what record this is for JFAC, but, um, but it feels like our second record feels like sun eater was like, this is when we really found ourselves as a band. So this feels like that sophomore record where there's the pressure of like, can you do it again? You know? Um, and so far everybody's had really positive response on it and we're really stoked and just makes me want to like start the next one, you know? <laughs> so it's not, it seems a little years. early for that. <laughs> no way with how we move. <laughs> if this record's going to come out before 2030, we need to start like fucking tomorrow. <laughs> Fair enough. What you, you mentioned the theme or concept of the record. Is that something you guys all get together and hash out or is that driven by one of you particularly? Um, really we kind of do get to, when we are together, we kind of were hashing it out. Um, but realistically, like, um, we kind of knew all collectively that like this would be a sequel. I, I had a buddy of mine mention that we should call the, the, the next record moon eater. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, that's fucking awesome. It makes sense. You know, the, the sun and the moon. And, uh, I, I, I passed that on to Johnny in like 2018 or 2019 or so. And, uh, he was like, I like the moon element of it, but I, I don't want to do the eater thing twice. So he's like, I'll, I'll come up with something else. And so that led us into diving into like some of these, um, uh, concepts and topics and to, to really dig into like, Oh, in, in, you know, uh, a lot of this crazy esoteric knowledge, like what, what does the moon represent, you know, as an archetype, what does the moon represent? And, um, especially in like some of the like psychedelic experiences that people have, um, what role does it play? And, and, and I think that's what led Johnny to, you know, that the healer element of it. And then we were like, Oh, that kind of can set up this dichotomy between, you know, sun eater and like, you know, the, even the, the song, uh, I think it's track four. It was called Martha was the pet name for the song, but, uh, the sun gave me ashes. So I sought out the moon. Um, and so it was like, we knew that there was going to be this sequel, but there was a lot of openness as far as Johnny and I tossing ideas back and forth. Like I'll be like, Hey, check out this fucking article on this, like really nice synopsis of like the Tibetan book of the dead and the Bardos that you go through and how you're supposed to, 
you know, they're trying to get you to realize that you're one with everything so you can escape the cycle of death and rebirth. And he's like, that's fucking awesome. That kind of ties in with some ideas I already had. And then he's like, check this shit out, sends me all that. And so it was a very like open process, especially because we started working on the um, videos together, you know, so um, I directed alongside um, Kyle Lamar from Digital Mile. And, and Johnny too, even though from afar, um, but we directed the videos together. And so we knew at least the first two and we kind of co-directed the third one or just basically gave some treatment ideas to Chris Klump. But so we knew that we wanted to tie in a lot of these um, thematic elements from the lyrics, you know, into the, uh, to represent them in the videos. And so it was, it was a lot of like, yo, have you seen this movie? You know? Okay, cool. Check this movie out or check this scene out in the movie. Here's a timestamp. Um, so the- Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There was a lot of that going on, um, you know, but ultimately, he, you know, Johnny puts the you know pen to the paper or, or, or types it or whatever and like makes the actual lyrics that they are, you know. Well, it seems like there's a lot of thought and consideration, of course, put into the conveying the concept of telling that story. But I have to imagine not everybody's even picking it up or like (laughs) aware that it's even a thing. Sure. So is there any uh, element of, well, let's make sure this is still a song. Is there stuff like that? Definitely. I think that's part of the reason why it took as long as it did to make too, because we knew it was going to be this, this, this crazy roller coaster, and these songs had all these twists and turns and uh, it always feels like you, you're driving to someplace and then it's like, you know, take a, take a turn and now we're opening to this new landscape and it's kind of like played into the thematic elements of like the, the, the sort of schizo, you know, um, like crazy trip of, of the, that the character's going through. Um, but you know, we're like, okay, it can be this roller coaster but all the planks and the rails need to be there and it needs to be smooth. We don't want to throw somebody out of the fucking roller coaster. So a lot of, a a lot of like time was spent into being like, does this flow into this part? What, how can we make these two parts? This feels a little, you know, unfinished. So how can we make these two parts like connect better? Like, Oh, okay. What if with that riff afterwards speeds up five beats per minute? And the one before it, we dropped down a little bit, like try to make it a little smoother. So tons of shit like that in the, in the really, really, really fine detail work. And that went on for years. Um, I mean, we could have like hypothetically just taken the demos that we had, you know, some of them even back to like 2016 and just like go into the studio with Jason and be like, all right, let's flesh it out. And, you know, probably could have come out with a record that was halfway decent. Um, but in order to make it so that every single track 
can like stand on its own. You sort of had to have like almost like little micro resolutions. You know what I mean? Like instead of like, okay, this big thing leads into this next crazy song. And then this leads to the slow song at the end. Um, it was like, you kind of had to make sure that they all were their own little story, I guess. You know what I mean? And, and Mm -hmm. Sun Eater did that too. You know, where it's like each, each concept was like based off of a real concept that this, this um, character that we know had like thought about for the world or something, right? Like their, their perception of water or, um, uh, you know, sun gazing or, or whatever it is, you know? And, uh, so you try to make each little, you try to make each song its own little world, but they are like links in a chain, I guess. You know what I mean? And it, you hope that people would listen to a whole record. I know the majority of people don't, you know, like it's just, you know, who fucking buys a CD at all anymore? You know, the vinyl thing's kind of coming back, but the percentage of people that buy vinyl that actually own a fucking record player is less than 50%. So really? it's, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, I mean, people, you, we know what it is, man. How I'm going to deal with all this extra stress of, uh, or, and, and like physicality of bringing shit around and changing stuff. When I can like uh, the device that we have in our hands, the whole rest of the day, you just click on the fucking thing and let me check this song out, you know? So, right. but I guess that doesn't mean that we don't continue to, to present our art that way. And I think like, particularly with JFAC anyways, it might make more sense to, um, to have these larger concepts, you know, at the, it's, it's at the same time, I would like to do like an EP would also be really fun. But, right. um, cause then you could go maybe a little more extreme into like the sound change if you wanted to experiment, but not like, Oh, they changed their sound. You know, like if it's just singles, right. right. You can come up with a weird song and people aren't going <laughs> to be like, Oh, they went fucking idiot, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? But it's like, Oh, if it's a full record that you do something else in the big, Oh, they, you know, I tapped out after that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, and with, with conceptually and with the, with the tie together between the two, two records and everything. Um, I think it's like uh, for surface level, if you're just checking the band out, there should be enough candy and enough like ear candy. And like, it should be, I guess, orally, you know, exciting enough that you don't have to get into the larger story if you don't want to, we hope for that. But if you're looking for something a a little, you know, with a little more to it, you know, like it's there for you, you know, to find. And there's tons, I mean, there's tons of Easter eggs in the video. There's tons of shit that like, like nobody's ever going to get this. Maybe fucking one dude three years from now makes a comment on YouTube. Be like, I got this, you know? And we're like, okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Pointing a finger at you. Like it's okay that not everybody gets every little piece of it, you know? Well, you, you brought up some interesting things there. One of them is that the, like the way our preferred consumption, our preferred method, our preferred format, that's the word I'm looking for, preferred format for music now. Uh, I was listening to somebody else's podcast this week and they brought it up. They asked the question and and I think everybody answered it the same way that I would once I thought about it. And they said, what's your preferred method? And like, if you, if I like think, I'm like, oh, it's, it's record. I got fucking piles and piles of records in here. It's records. Like, but the majority of what I actually listen to is streaming. Cause I have a earbud in all day long, you know, while right. I'm sitting in my cubicle, like all day long I have. And it's like, well, that is really convenient, but I still want to listen to albums. I still, and maybe it's just our age. Maybe yeah. it's you know, that, you know, we want to listen front to back on a record. Like I hate fucking singles, man. <laughs> I, I, know. I hate it. I hate playlists. Yeah. I, I don't like, I don't want to do that. I, even if I start listening to the album, I think sucks. I'm going to get through it because it's just what I do. But um, you, re- you remind me of my, 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 my buddy, Greg, my bass or my uh, drummer that, you know, from third grade, he, he 
played drums and I played, uh, I played guitar at the time, but like we grew up together, taught each other how to play music, started a band together. And yeah. he like, can't stand that people don't do records. He hates, you know, like he's like, I still buy the song. If I'm going to do it digitally, like I buy the song, I buy the record from iTunes and I download it and I make my own, you know what I mean? And uh, he's, and he's not wrong. I mean, it's part of this thing. I, I was came across this on, um, in Victor Wooten's book, Victor Wooten's has a very unique philosophy on life and music. And, uh, his second book is called the spirit of music. The first one's called the music lesson where basically music incarnates as a person and comes into his life and like, you know, interacts with them and kind of shares all this, uh, sort of knowledge about, and, and like unique ways of like, um, perceiving music in the world. Um, but so the spirit of music is, goes even deeper down that rabbit hole in the beginning. He sort of starts off with this monologue about how it's like summarizes the end of the previous book, but that music is dying. And if you were to look at, you know, um, I'm going to paraphrase this and get it wrong, but essentially like music used to be something that you had to either a make yourself play the instrument or sing or go listen to somebody else play the music and sing. That's what music was for the longest time on this planet. And that represents a hundred percent of the frequencies, the vibrations, the emotions, um, the literal actual air being moved, the molecules being moved that you get a hundred percent when you go see somebody live, uh, as long as they're not playing with tracks. But, um, (laughs) but, um, then we, you know, came up with the, uh, um, I don't know if it was radio or gramophone first, but you know, the first little technology medium to be able to play music, you know, let's say it was radio and then like, okay, well you're not getting the full frequency spectrum with radio, but it's still pretty good because people were playing live on the radio. But then we have like the first recorded music, first recorded music. So let's say that that represents like, you know, full music is like 12 inches of one foot, right? Seeing it live. Then like, let's say like a vinyl then would be like, you know, 80%. Like you're literally having to squeeze some of the frequency range down that you would normally be getting um, and the amount that you can put in there. So then wave files come out, CDs, right? Now we're down to like, you know, maybe four inches of music or something, right? Then MP3s come out. Now we've compressed that down to 128K from, from the waveform. So you're literally starting to compress out by, by making it smaller and smaller, you're compressing out information, right? And then you add in, um, pitch correction and quantization for drums and digital editing. So like you'll go back now and listen to like fucking, you know, Nirvana, uh, um, unplugged and be like, wow, he's so out of key but his vocals are so, so pitchy and you, and you can even go listen like Shaka Khan and, and you know um, any of those amazing musicians from the, from seventies, eighties and nineties. And they sound out to us because we're now used to, instead of the waveform being like this and slightly imperfect of somebody, you know, holding an A note or whatever right. and, and whatever vibrato they have an auto tune comes in and they fucking squish it down to a perfect thing. So our melody, our ears are now trained to this like, perfect unwavering pitch and the drums are quantized. They're perfectly to the grid. So now mm-hmm. we're getting even even less, less and less and less in music. And then now we're not even fucking doing it as its own thing. We're not even putting music on as an event. Like you do when you have to listen to a record, right? 
Uh, or, you know, as a kid, I'd go to the store and buy a CD, come home, fucking open the booklet up, you know, fall in love with it. Read the, read the lyrics as I was, uh, uh, listening to it. Right. Make us like a, like a, a cellular connection to the music. Now it's background. It's, I listen to music when I'm at the gym, I listen on my way to work or if I'm traveling someplace or if we're hanging out in a party, I put some music, it's, it's relegated to the best. So like the concept that, that Victor was bringing up is like, it's fucking dying. It's slowly becoming less and less of how important it was back when it was like, Hey, this is like community. This is how, you know, like if, and, and if you wanted to hear music, sing, learn to play something or go watch somebody to do that. Um, and so I think that it's great that there is at least some type of resurgence and there's some old guard like yourself holding on to, you know, the physical element of music and not being like, you know what, just fucking Spotify me and just put on shuffle and you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I liked all that, by the way, that was cool. That was a, that was a very cool explanation. It's a cool book, dude. You should check it out. Yeah. The first one and the second one. Really cool. I actually, I just finished, you said some things in there and I just finished reading a music book of my own, but it was just the, the Scott Burns sessions book, the life and death metal where it talked about Scott oh, Burns, cool. you know, producing the, and, uh, there was some, some, uh, not, not one-to-one parallels or comparisons to things you said, but just some things you said there about the production mixing. And it made me think about something I wanted to ask you about, about sure. this, about uh, moon healer is that I, I really enjoyed the mix and specifically oh. I can hear your bass. Like it's like perfect, uh, but it's not, it's not overpowering either. So who, but who did it? I don't see anything about who mixed this record. Oh shit. Yeah. It should be, it should be in the fucking thing, but we, we've been it trying probably to, is. I might've missed it. Yeah. But uh, it's Jason Sukoff. Hmm. Um, so he's like, you know, death angel, I think cannibal, right. Uh, you know, Carnifex. Oh, he was in there as producer. I didn't see as I didn't see mixing. Oh, maybe they didn't get put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be you know produced, mixed. Gotcha. uh, You know, etc. Erman mastered the record. Um, uh, My buddy Erman from this company called Submission Audio, Um, and uh, we had switched. Um, from the guy who originally mastered our stuff, who always did really good, but like I, you know, Ehrman had been like, Hey, can you send me some of the tracks? And I was like, dude, we are already guys already on version three of the record. So, you know, he's like, well, send me it and I'll, I'll, I'll make you some tracks so you can check out for next record if you want to use me for it. And it just fucking blew us away. So we we're like, shit, we got to change and do this. But, um, and that was part of some of part of what he did, um, was doing like a mid side thing to, to really sort of emphasize, uh, and clean up the, there's this range in the low end, um, where, especially if you're down tuning the guitars and you have, you know, say drop, uh, or a standard seven string, a standard, or even like drop G sharp. We were doing in some of these where there's this like range in like the, I don't know, it's like 250 Hertz ish range, um, where both instruments can't have that. You got to carve little niches out right to where, Otherwise it's like, it's muddy, you know, and the definition isn't there. So Sukov is really great at, at understanding low end. Um, and I mean, he'll use like the, the submission audio makes like, um, bass plugins, right. Where, um, it's like easy drummer or superior drummer where you can program in like a real bass bass that had been recorded by somebody one note at a time. Yeah. And so he'll do that and put like just a generic basic line on there. Once he's, uh, is, is tracking guitars just so he can start the mix process. Cause if you just start 
mixing guitars um, right off the bat. So you got the drums and the guitars done and you start mixing it. It's going to get the low end's going to get completely fucking changed when the bass player comes in and tracks. So he's like, you know, putting, you know, some raw, you know, root note esque uh, bass stuff in there allows him to sort of like get started on the mix a little earlier. Um, and then, you know, we knew what we wanted. Uh, you know, I, I was real adamant about going after this tone in during sun eater, you know, specifically because there was like bass time for that record. And I was like, um, Johnny's like, ah, so what are we doing with tone? And I was like, dude, I don't want, I don't want distortion on it. I don't want, you know, I was like, I don't really want the grit. I want, clean, uh, you know, these bases I have are like incredible sounding. They're super individual sounding. And like when we put all this distortion on them, we're kind of killing that individuality, especially like that real kind of gut feeling where the note definition kind of hits you in your like diaphragm or whatever, when you're listening to bass and it's like, it's just like those frequencies to me, they get sucked like up. Into the thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I was in, and that's back when Johnny and I were both like, He's like, well, what's your favorite bass production? And I was like, oh, LD50, Mudvayne, hands down. And I thought he was going to make fun of me because it's like, oh, the new metal, you know, but he was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, dude. And he was like, that's my favorite bass down too. And I was like, no, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> what, how, how is this three, three records in until we find this out? So having Johnny be down with it was just as important, at, you know, probably the most important because you could have, you know, a highly compressed sounding, you know, bass. MTD or a Warwick and, you know, want to play these, these ways a little, you know, busier and and more Mm -hmm. like uh, a vocal in your phrasings and go in with your band. And then if the band, the other band members are like, "Mm, no, we're not going to hear from Then We're going to Jason Newstead and justice for all this track a little bit right here. (laughs) You know what I mean? So you kind of have to have everybody on board, you know, Mm -hmm. like the band's got to be on board. um, And the engineer's got to be on board to, to want to push, um, an instrument that's not known for being that prominent in the mix up, up that high. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I myself have been in a recording studio for a, where, where a bassist is trying to stand out and watched <laughs> him get, watched him get shut down hard by the guitarist and the producer and like, <laughs> Just and the these the line was just play the fucking root notes. <laughs> just go back Oof. in there and play the root notes. Denied. And, uh, yeah, Denied. It, was, uh, <laughs> it was harsh. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to like. There'll be a funny like. I don't know. There's got to be a skit in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Like I said, I've listened to the record a lot, and it comes out officially. I don't think we said February twenty third. Metal Blade yeah. Records. You've brought up Mudvayne several times. I knew that you were a fan of Mudvayne. Yeah. I am not, but, <laughs> yeah. but I'm willing to be. I felt like if you look okay. back at my uh, record collection or CD collection from back there, it had all those bands, all the new metal, all this, everything. Sure. It, was, it was mixed in with everything. I've never cared about what genre something is. I like that. But I could, ne- I, and I had LD 50. I had the one that came after that, which was actually like the album before it, whatever it was called. I forgot oh, what it was the, called. The end of all things to come. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and. Yeah. Oh, then there was, the, no, there was the beginning of all things to end, which was like a re-release of their stuff before Ryan joined the band. And then there yes, was. Yes, that's, that's what yeah, it was. I had, I yeah. had that. Yeah. So, but that's where I stopped. And in right. my mind, when I think about Mudvayne, I just can't go like, what is, what is your defense of Mudvayne? Why is it so good? What do you love about it? Um, I mean, I think in general, like just right off the bat, it's just like the rhythm section of Matt 
um, and, and Ryan, um, really kind of putting for me, it was just about, you know, sort of swapping the roles of bass and guitar in metal where, you know, primarily the bass has been relegated to playing root notes to being, you know, the rhythmic tie, the foundation of the house, um, which is a very important part of the house. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Victor said this before once where he's like, no, or it might've been uh, Anthony Wellington, but they're like, you know, nobody ever goes up to a beautiful house, you know, like a, a mansion, you know, that's just like this gorgeous, you know, uh, just aesthetically beautiful, uh, ornate, um, uh, mansion or home and goes, wow, what a beautiful foundation. I mean, this right. foundation is just so good. You know, people don't do that, but the whole fucking place doesn't exist. It can't exist without that a really great foundation. Um, and so that's kind of where bass ha- has been, you know, mm. I mean, in all music almost, but, um, they've sort of flipped the script on it for me where it was like, Oh, the bass can, it has this amazing timbre in the upper register. And if you mix it right and you play it in such a way, like it can be as vocally, um, prominent, uh, in, in, in the, in the motifs, you know, in, in the creation of the essence of the melody of the, of the part, it can be just as important and sound just as cool, if not cooler, because not everybody's doing it, mm-hmm. um, as the guitar. And then the guitarist kind of did took the role of a traditional bassist. Then it was, you know, just kind of like really went, okay, I'm going to be the kind of foundation, the root, hold that down and let the bass have this really cool timbre. And, and, uh, 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 I guess just the overall sound of it was just like flattering to my ear, you know, like the slides that he was doing and, you know, I'm just like, Oh yeah. Like I'll never forget like here and dig, you know what I mean? Just that for just the way that, that whole, just the way it begins. And yeah, you know, it's like, it is a pretty, uh, yeah. And you're pretty memorable playing. Yeah, exactly. So I would say, and then get in there to me because it was to me, they were like, and I love tool. I grew up on tool, but they were like the tool of new metal. Like it was like thinking man's new metal. If they, you know, and I don't even, I would barely put them in the new metal category. I would because of the face paint and the people that you'd right. see at the, the hot topicness of the crowd that you would see at the show, Jenkos and fucking, you know, all that stuff. But, um, but go in and listen, listen to the time signatures, man. I mean, there's, there's stuff in there. I still can't figure out what they're doing. You know, I'm like, there's a track called trapped in the wake of a dream. And I'm like, dude, try to mouth that riff. It's fucking so unique. It's set like 17, two is it? If I'm not mistaken, it's a time signature of it. So it doesn't repeat all the way back around till 17. Mm. And just like, uh, you know, conceptually, I loved all the stuff that they were doing back then as well, because thematically, actually a lot of the stuff on, on Sunday near moon healer, there's, there's like cousins to a lot of that material, a lot that sort of like, concepts of con- consciousness and evolution. And, and, um, I mean, Mudvayne's where I found out about Terrence McKenna, you know, and one of my favorite authors, who's just like sort of the, the modern day Timothy Leary and, you know, more sort of psilocybin and um, mushroom guy. And, yeah. And, and dimethyltryptamine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was like, Oh, who's this guy on this record? And like, Oh, that's Terrence McKenna. And like a lot of the topics that they were uh, broaching during those first two records because the first two records, as far as I understand are uh, conceptually uh, Matt, the drummer had a lot more to do with. Um, and then after like the third record, they really, really kind of leaned into the radio side of things, um, you know? And so my, my, Mudvayne for me, my favorite stuff is obviously those, those first two records. There's good stuff throughout the rest of it for sure. Um, 
but conceptually I loved that element of like, you know, just this kind of out there esoteric, you know, um, golden order of the hermetic dawn type of, you know, the space odyssey stuff. Um, yeah, just like, uh, evolution consciousness taking, taking further control of our evolution, uh, via, you know, prolonged usage of hallucinogens, which you know, kind of ties into moon healer, you know? Well, that's, that's, I'm, I'm very glad you broke that all down for me. Cause like, as you're saying that I realized that I only ever took mud vein in as, or through the lens of a 18, 20 year old, you know what I mean? And now oh, sure. you know, 40 this year. A, and I have those very CDs you're talking about in the garage right now, like through this wall in front of me. Oh shit. And uh, like, all right, maybe I need to revisit. Cause I never get rid of anything. You know, yeah, maybe I need back, to revisit this stuff and do and it try and, again. and re- read the lyrics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because like they're, I mean, they're brilliant. There really is, is some, some really brilliant stuff that these, these, you know, more, you know, erudite, like very advanced, mature themes, um, at the time. And I think like maybe it went over a lot of people's heads. Oh, and, certainly whatever. Went over mine. I was not aware of any of that. They were just goofballs and face paint, you know, oh, making yeah. noise. And no, was- yeah, the set, dude, the second record, like, and I didn't find out about this till I was hanging out with Ryan at his house. Like, and I still didn't even figure that out. He's like, oh yeah, the entire second record is all based off of like, of, of a sign. So each, each song is written from the perspective of a particular sign and like embodying the elements, you know, the alleged elements that like that particular sign has. So like Gemini, you know, being the twin or whatever. And he's like, Oh, that's trapped. Uh, not trapped. That was, uh, I forget the name of the fucking song. Uh, but yeah, but I was like, I had never known that in 20 years of listening to that record, that each song is based off an astrological sign, just cool shit like that. Lots of Easter eggs. And like, it's, it's, it's a lot more cerebral than you would, you would let on thinking about like, Oh, face paint and fucking, you know, like family values tour or something. Right. You know? <laughs> Rated goatees. Yeah, exactly. Dude. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, good, good. No, that's, that's, that's cool. I'm I'm going to revisit some Mudvayne and yeah, see what's yeah. there for me. I like doing that anyway. I like going back and listening to old stuff and just hearing sure. it again for the first time. Like, all right, what did I miss? Why did I think this sucked then? And yeah. Or why did I think this was it? cool then? Yeah. There's, <laughs> man, there's, there's, there's some, not many, but there's some I listen to and I just, and I think, ah, oh, and I'll be nice and not name names, but there's some sure. bands I just listen to now. And I just go, I don't think I liked that ever. I think yeah. I was, I, th- I think I thought I was supposed to. I got so, sucked uh, in. Yeah. Uh-huh. I yeah. have, I have some of those for sure. But I'm just like, mm, embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Privately. I'm not even telling people. They're just embarrassing. Yeah, me. exactly. Um, last question I want to know is moon healer comes out February 23rd. What are you most excited about for the release of this record? <sighs> I guess it's, I'm kind of really excited at, and also I think I touched on this a little bit, but a slightly bittersweet or like, like sort of pre nostalgic, I guess about like wrapping up this like massive chapter of my life, you know, our, our lives with the, with the band, but like, you know, um, been working on it almost every day since like 2018. And before that it was like weekly at least. So there's like, you know, eight years of your life. Uh, into something. Normally it's two, right? Normally it's like, um, you know, you write and you record in a three month span or whatever, and then you go out, wait three months for the record to drop tour for a year and a half, start the whole thing over. That's that two year process. Almost every metal band's on, um, or almost every band. But, uh, and so normally a record would only represent like, you know, a couple of years of your life, which, you know, whatever couple of years goes by, but this is like a chapter, you know, this is like, this is like a, a, you know, it's like there'll be part one, 
chapters one through two, part two. This is like a part right, right. of my life. And um, so it's, it's great to see it finally come out because of the amount of work that we put into it, because there were so many times throughout the process, because it was so arduous and so many setbacks and so many, uh, okay, we're going to push to next year. I mean, that, that, that was like six times that happened that, and the, all the work that I put into listening to it and, and crafting these lines and trying to write stuff that was, you know, new for me, which is gets harder and harder because, you know, it's, you can only play so many techniques, you know what I mean? Um, before you're going to be like, Oh, you did that on this song on that record. You know what I mean? So like to, to constantly be finding something new, just all this big culmination of stuff um, that is finally making its light and seeing and, and being released into the world. You know, it's like, I didn't think it was going to happen so many times. So now I'm like, Holy shit, dude, it's like fucking two weeks and it really is coming out there, you know? And then it, it's going to be like, Oh, we put that record out in February of 24. And it'll, it'll, it, it's like this big shift from like this JFAC has always been the coming soon or never place in my mind to now like right. crossing the threshold of it, releasing and being like, Oh shit, that's over. That, that's done. You know? So that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs>
So there you have it. That was my conversation with bassist Nick Shins of Job for a Cowboy. The song you heard was The Agony Seeping Storm. That, of course, is off of their new record, Moon Healer, out Friday, February 23rd on Metal Blade Records. The whole thing's excellent. If you're like me, never gave the band a chance or at least didn't for a long time. Maybe now's the time, guys. Enough time has passed that we can look inside of ourselves and honestly take a listen to a band we probably hated 20 plus years ago or 20 ish years ago and accept that they're pretty fucking rad, actually. At least this version is for sure. Thanks again to Nick for his time, for his conversation, for his music. The guy's in a shitload of bands. Okay. If you want to go do a dive into his discogs, I'd uh, actually highly encourage it and go listen to everything he's ever done. Go listen to him sleep. Get real close while he's sleeping. Listen to his snore. If it's there, I don't know. Maybe he has a sleep apnea machine. I'm not sure what a sleeping routine is, nor will I ever be. It was nice to meet him, but I didn't meet him that closely. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, you could have heard that interview a couple weeks ago if you were a Patreon subscriber. Yes, for just $2 a month, you get early access ad-free interviews on gettingitout.net's Patreon. There's a link somewhere in this podcast for you to click to go support that. Again, just $2 a month. You won't even notice it coming out of your account. Trust me, I am a Patreon subscriber to other podcasts myself, and I don't even notice my payments to them coming out. So I need more Patreon subscribers of my own to fill the hole that is being made by me subscribing to other people's Patreons. Do me a favor, subscribe today. Right now, there are interviews with See You Next Tuesday, Ghost, and uh, I got one coming up very soon with Bork Nagar and one of the coolest bands there is, Norway's Bokasa. But if you're not willing to subscribe to the podcast on Patreon, then please just make sure you do it in your podcast listening app, whether that's Spotify, hit that follow button. And while you're there, do a five-star rate and review and do the same in Apple Music. I don't think many other podcasts players even exist anymore. I've gotten notifications from Google that they're taking theirs down. I've gotten notifications from Stitcher that they don't even exist anymore. Where else people listen to podcasts? I have no idea. But if you listen to it somewhere, five-star review, subscribe is probably the biggest thing. Hit that subscribe or follow button and give it five, five, I don't know, fucking five, whatever, five, five fingers, five fingers and a death punch. You could do anything you want as long as you just give it something. Give it to me. All right. And I guess that's a good way to end this episode of the podcast. You know I'm going to end it with a song, though. And I got a doozy. I got one from an Australian death metal solo project called Stella Remains. Dan Elkin is the guy behind it, based out of Brisbane. And Wastelands was released on Gutter Prince Cobble Records on February 15th. It's the debut EP. There's a lot to love about it. A little bit of hype behind it. I want you to check it out because I think it's great. And the song I want you to hear is Obsolescence. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.